morning. We begin a new series today called Project Restoration. And I don't know about you, but in our house, we love the DIY channel. You get to see all these different things being changed from old till new. And you get to see the rebuilding, the rehabbing, the restoration of lives and homes. And this morning, I want us to think about this idea over the next few weeks of Project Restoration. And What would it look like for us to restore, to rehab, to reshape our lives in this season of pause and interruption and disruption called COVID and whatever other name that you want to give it during this season? And so I have some pictures for you of some project restorations that have happened. And I think there's some some drastic changes that can take place in our lives that also take place in homes. You can see somebody redid their attic and kind of a lame attic into a cool office type space for them. The next one is a kitchen. Like this is old school 70s style kitchen and somebody transformed it into a modern farmhouse. I guess the fixer upper guys stepped into that one. And then who doesn't love an old nasty bathroom renovation into something new? Now this is pretty cool stuff. It's it's interesting to see how people can have this vision and dream and to restore a house or to store a part of the room. Now, my favorite thing is the man cave show and how they come in and to change this place in a house, whether it's a garage or a basement or something, and create new ones. And so you saw the rock climbing one, and here's a game room. This is probably a millennial guy that loves all these old games. And then uh, my favorite one, that this person's going to, they've already spent all this money, and now they're going to have to change it this week. And so what a great man cave that's going to have to totally be undone and which, you know, it's Redskins and being a Cowboys fan, that's totally okay with me. So they can put it into a Cowboys uh, man cave. And so you can see that when we have vision and we have clarity of what we want and what we want to see, how drastically we can change a room or even a house. Well, the scripture this morning, we're going to be looking at Nehemiah for the next few weeks. And so our hope is, is that you will binge in your Bible over the next few weeks in the book of Nehemiah and spend time there studying and get to knowing his story and how he was a part of a project restoration for the city of Jerusalem and to help bring new life to a community that was struggling. And it reminds me so much of today of of where we're at, and so many are struggling with different emotions and feelings, and you feel like the wall of your city, the wall of your life, that your house is maybe in shambles because of everything. And so here is a beautiful story of Nehemiah stepping in and helping people grab a vision and a clarity of what life could be like if they would gather together and to work together to reshape, to reform, to rehab the community with which they live. One of the things that Becky and I talked about early on in our marriage life was that we weren't going to fix up our house to sell it. I don't know if you've ever been in that situation where something in your house breaks and you think, oh, we can just live with it. The back burner on the stove doesn't work, and so you just kind of go around it, or a hinge on a cabinet breaks, and you're like, ah, I'll get around to it. Well, then around to it, you just never get to it. There's always something else, and then One day you wake up and you get a job and you transfer someone else or something like that happens. And then all of a sudden, to sell the house, you realize with new eyes and with clarity of vision all the things you need to fix so that you can sell it so someone else can live in it. And then you realize after you've fixed all those things, you're like, wow, I actually enjoy living in this house now. I don't want to sell it. 
And so there's actually a show even about that, of if you want to rehab it, move into the place that you've rehabbed or buy a new place. And many times they actually want to stay in the house that they're in once it's fixed up and rehabbed. And listen, this is our story, is we don't get new houses. Uh, this is, as followers of Jesus, our new house is a new heart and a new soul and a new mind in Jesus. And that's our rehab, that's our restoration. And so one of our hopes is that through this series you will get this idea that you can be restored to newness of life through a relationship with Jesus Christ. So this morning I'm asking you the question of what is broken in your world that needs fixing? What is broken broken in your world that needs fixing? Maybe for you it's your finances, that maybe you've lost your job or the income level has dropped and you have more months than you have money coming in. And so that's been a consistent thing in your life. Or maybe you have enough money, you just need to actually sit down and budget and figure out where your money is going and that you may have an open window in your house that is literally sucking money out and all you got to do is find that window and close it. So maybe your finances is broken. Maybe it's relationships, your relationship with your spouse, your relationship with your kids, with your grandkids, it could be your coworkers, whoever it may be, that you have some problems and issues in your relationships and they just need fixing. What is broken in that area? Or maybe it is your job. Maybe you're in a dead-end job and you just take this job and shove it. It's what you want to tell your boss. And, and uh, you have other dreams and visions of where you would have been in your career and where you'd be in life. And what can you do to fix it? And uh, maybe that means that you're going back to school or you need to do something different, but maybe it just means that you need to change your heart, that as you go into work that you need to have a change of heart as you enter into the place that the job is fine. Maybe it's our mindset of the job that we're doing. Or maybe you're at a place where your health is broken, that you've gone to the doctor, you're struggling with something, and you're taking some medicines and different things, and so you're at a place where your health is breaking down and and you want to just... Maybe think about the, the diet that you have and include exercise and all different things that you need to do because your health is breaking down. And sometimes you can't fix it. I hear old age is a train wreck and there's things that you want to fix and you just can't. But for many times, our health is broken. And many times the reason our health is broken is it's because of us and because of our choices. Or maybe you just have an addiction, an addiction that's medicated something in a life, a painful time in life for you, and you've never been able to get out of it. And so you continue to run to it for whatever reason, whether it's alcohol or drugs or pornography, anything that you're addicted to that medicates pain and trauma in your life, it's a broken part of our life that needs fixing. What's broken in your world that needs fixing? The beginning here in Nehemiah chapter 1, verses 1 through 11, we see... uh, beginnings of a steps to restoration in our life and how we can begin to have restoration and begin to have rehabbing and and reformation and restoration so that we can have wholeness and newness in our life. So step one that I want you to get from Nehemiah chapter one is this, is that we need to recognize and acknowledge our brokenness. It's like when you walk into your kitchen and you see that appliance is broken, you recognize it and acknowledge it, and now you begin to understand, okay, I've got to do something about this. Look at Nehemiah chapter 1, verse 1. Nehemiah says this. These are the memoirs of Nehemiah, the son of Hakaliah. Now, Hakaliah is the twin brother of Hakalugi. No, I'm just kidding. I don't know. There's these old names, and it's just sometimes they're hard to say, and so you just got to... Figure out ways to remember him. So Hakaliah 
In the late autumn in the month of Kislev, in the 20th year of King Artaxerxes' reign, I was at the fortress of Susa. Hannah and I, one of my brothers, came to visit with me and other men who had just arrived from Judah. And I'd asked them about the Jews who had returned there from captivity and about how things were going in Jerusalem. So let me just stop right there and pause for you and kind of catch you up on the story of Nehemiah. So Nehemiah was a Jew, and as a Jew, in about 605 B.C., King Nebuchadnezzar of VeggieTales fame, King Nebi, who made everybody bow down to the chocolate bunny, he was the one that was the ruler of the world. And so as the ruler of the world, he would go into these different states and these different nations, and he would recruit the best and the brightest of the young men in the, in the courts of the other kings. And he would give them SATs and LSATs and MCATs and all these different things. And so he would give them all the different tests that they would need, and then he would bring the best and the brightest back to his court. And so a few years later, King Nebuchadnezzar was gone, and now King Cyrus was the leader of the world, the king of Persia. And he had said, hey, you can go back to your home countries. But a lot of the best and the brightest were still in the court of King Cyrus. They kind of moved over to his court, and they had these positions of of leadership and responsibility. And so Nehemiah was a Jew that had been born in captivity and exile, and he was in the court of Persia, of King Cyrus. And so he would have had the ear of the king. There would have been several people that would have had his job, which his job was of a cupbearer. And so he was a person that was probably very handsome, very intelligent, and of high character. Because he would have been in the presence of the king any time there was a state dinner, any time that people were coming over, he would have been the one that would have been sitting next to the king and would be tasting his food and tasting of his drink to make sure that the king didn't pass away and been poisoned from that food or that drink. And so he was a, a person of high character and of high trust. And so he would have also had a great understanding of the political climate of the day because many times the king would lean in on the cupbearer and say, well, what do you think? And so Nehemiah would have been someone who would have had great, deep conversations with King Cyrus. And so here's his story in the midst of all this, that he's a, someone of exile and had moved up into great responsibility within the court. Look at verse 3. So they said to me, he's asking his brother and his friends have asked him, they said to me, things are not going well for those who return in the province of Judah. Now Judah is the southern kingdom and they had been, Exiled away, and so things, people are beginning to go back to the nation of Judah. And here's what they say. They're in great trouble and disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem has been torn down and the gates have been destroyed by fire. Now we'll see in just a second that this causes Nehemiah great distress. And the reason that it causes him great distress is because this is his hometown. He has great memories and fond memories of of pictures of old and the stories of the old country. And so it causes him great distress to realize that people have been given the edict, they've been given the opportunity to go back to the homeland and to fix it and to reestablish the power and the beauty and the majesty of Jerusalem. For you see, for Jerusalem, for Jewish people, this was the place where the temple was. This is where everybody went to worship and to experience everything that they had ideas about who God was. And so the wall was symbolic for them of vibrancy, of safety, of security, and of peace. 
And that the very first thing that they should have done is, one, reestablish the temple, but that also reestablish the walls so that they could go about living their lives in peace and security and safety and worship God without fear of outside attacks. And so Nehemiah hears this and immediately it drops him to his knees. Our question for you this morning is what part of your life is burned down and torn apart and that it feels like you're in trouble and disgrace? What part of the walls of your life have fallen down and the enemy is able to crawl over and to attack you and continually annoy you? And to peck at you and just kind of that persistent thing that's a thorn in the side of your flesh. And you know that it's there, but you haven't taken the time to pause and to reflect and to count the cost of what it's going to take to deal with it. And this is where Nehemiah is at. He's asking the question of why can they pass by the wall? How can they live in the city of God and not pay attention to the wall that brings safety and security and peace? Step two to restoration is the idea of grieving, that it's okay for us to cry. Look at Nehemiah, verse 4. When I heard this, when I heard about the wall and the, the disgrace, I sat down and I wept. In fact, for days I mourned and fasted and prayed to the God of heaven. What do you do when you're dealing with brokenness in your life? What's the response that you have in that moment when you recognize that, that something's broken, that the wall has been torn down, and, and the enemy is available to attack, and you're experiencing attack? What is your response in that moment of brokenness? Nehemiah grieved. Jewish people, when they grieved, it was common for them to sit down and to grieve deeply because what was happening they're crying from the depths of their heart and they're recognizing that this is a posture of sitting down and contemplating and reflecting so to sit down and to weep was a spiritual experience this wasn't just some emotional thing this was an experience that he was saying i'm grieving over something that's lost and that people are missing out on on the relationship with god because of the brokenness of the city how many of you ever what we call ugly cry at our house? Ever had those moments of just you are just so overwhelmed with grief that you your makeup runs down, ladies. I mean, it's just everywhere. And guys, we struggle with doing this, but we're just it just bubbles up with inside of us and it's uncontrollable and it comes from deep within and you are moved deep within the recesses of your soul and you cannot stop the grieving. Maybe been a loss of a loved one or something like that, and it just it just hurts. And the only way that you can express the hurt is to ugly cry. And that's the image here of Nehemiah is the grief that he feels over the brokenness of the city that he ugly cries. What we cry or laugh over reveals our character. What we cry or laugh over reveals our character. And here, Nehemiah hears the story. He hears the report that the city of Jerusalem is broken, that the walls are torn down and burned down, that they're available to be attacked. And it breaks his heart, and he sits down, and he weeps, and he ugly cries over the brokenness of the city. I'm reminded of the story of Bob Pierce. Bob Pierce is the founder of an organization called World Vision, and he's the president 
of that. And in his book, um, Man of Vision, he tells his story of at one time traveling, and he was traveling through China, and a lady hands him a child, this child, and says, what are you going to do for this child? And he held the child for a little bit and gave it back, and he came back to the States. And that question just began to resonate within his soul of what can I do for children like this? And so as he began to pray and ask this question, ended up with these words began to work into his heart, and this was the wall of Bob Pierce's life. Here, here was the prayer that he asked, God, break my heart with what breaks yours. And Bob said he ugly cried over this wall that he knew needed to be fixed. And now today, decades later, it's a multi-billion organization that feed and clothe and house and educate children all over the world because one lady asked the question, what are you going to do for children like these? What's broken in your world that needs fixing? What have you sat down over a part of your life that you are ugly crying over, that you're in your closet of your house and you're hiding and may, no one else may know, but you know what you're broken over and you know that it needs fixing? What is that? We're broken over your finances. You're broken over the things that you're addicted to, that you're medicating your life with. Are you broken over your relationships? You're broken over your kids. Are you broken over your job situation or your health? An interesting thing in Nehemiah, throughout the book of Nehemiah, Nehemiah, whenever he's struck with something or has opposition, his immediate response is always to kneel down and pray. Character is revealed in the midst of brokenness. The things that we laugh or cry over reveal our character. And every time that Nehemiah had this vision of what needed to happen because of the brokenness of the wall, and every time that he came up against opposition, he knelt down and he prayed. That's a posture of fighting. That's a posture of resistance. That's a posture of opposition. So many times we think prayer is weakness when in reality power is, prayer is power. And when we pray and stop, we are fighting against the forces that are unseen. And that is what will allow us to push through and move through and allow brokenness to be brought to wholeness. So many times we devise plans and we say, God, I have plans. Won't you bless my plans? When God says the beginning of clarity, the beginning of any plan is to stop and to reflect and to gather the tools and resources necessary to, to think through the strategic steps that it's going to take to get from point A to point B. And so many times we are already at point B and don't count the cost between A and B. And so then we're surprised and then we're frustrated and we're unhappy with God because he hasn't blessed our plans. And he says, because if you would have just stopped at point A and got on your knees with me, then I would have given you clarity and where you think point B is, is totally in the opposite direction of where you should be going. And I think part of it is the fear of we don't really want to count the cost when we get on our knees and to pause and to reflect because we're afraid of what God might ask of us and require of us. But the posture of prayer is the place 
where we begin the fight, where project restoration begins. And step three in project restoration is that we need to then seek wise counsel. This is prayer, right? Who is the wisest person we know? That's God the Father. That we sit down before him and we begin to ask questions and we pause and we reflect and we say, God, my heart is broken over X, my finances. My heart is broken over my addiction. My heart is broken over. And you begin to fill in and God said, God, I need clarity of what it's going to take to get from this place of brokenness to a place of wholeness. And God begins to give clarity. It's beginning point of that is acknowledging and recognize that you're broken. That there's a place and steps to get there and account the cost. So many times the reason that we don't do a home renovation project is we sit down and we see some things that are broken in our house and we realize, hey, because the refrigerator is broken and it's from 1970 and it's olive green, now whenever I replace it, my orange cabinets are not going to look quite as cool and make it. And so now you've got to, and so all of a sudden, so when one thing is fixed, the big restoration project, then it leads to this, right? And so then the next thing leads to this. And so as you begin to get into the details of the project and you begin to lay it out, you realize that as you count the cost, it's going to be quite expensive and it's going to take a long time. And so then you decide, okay, do we really want the brand new stainless steel high dollar thing that it emails you what you want for lunch and dinner and you can have it and it delivers it to the thing. And I mean, it's like, that would be awesome. (laughs) But that would be all we have. And so all of our cabinets would still be. And so you begin to make adjustments along the way, but it requires sitting down and thinking through, here's the vision that we have. Here's the goal that we have. And through that estimation time and counting the cost and the strategic steps to get there, we gain clarity. And that is what prayer is. Sitting down with the master architect, with the greatest strategist, the wisest person in the world, and say, God, here I am. You know my brokenness, and I want to get to wholeness. What is it going to take to get here? Nehemiah, verse 5, Nehemiah prays. Here's what he says. O Lord, God of heaven, the great and awesome God. Now here, it's kind of a model prayer for us is that Nehemiah starts his prayer and he begins to focus on who God is and God's sufficiency. So in that moment, he begins praying. He said, God, you are God and I'm not. I realize that you're incredible, that you're awesome. And so as you begin to do that, you take yourself and focus off yourself and begin to focus on who he is. The great and awesome God who keeps his covenant of unfailing love with those who love him and obey his commands. Listen to my prayer. Look down and see me praying night and day for your people, Israel. I confess that we have sinned against you. Now again, here's a part of that model prayer is that in that moment of recognition of how great God is, it puts us and our proper perspective and we realize that we're not God and that we have led ourselves to this point of brokenness. So therefore, there's this moment of confession and saying, God, that the reason that I'm addicted to this, the reason that my relationships are struggling, the reason that I'm in X broken position is because I have placed myself here. And I recognize who you are in your wisdom. And I need to be reminded of the fact that you're the master architect and you can help me get out of this place 
of brokenness. Because my wisdom has led me to brokenness. I need your wisdom to get me out. Yes, even my own family and I have sinned. We've sinned terribly by not obeying the commands, the decrees and regulations that you gave us through your servant Moses. In other words, by us not following you and being obedient, it's caused us to go off path. Please remember what you told your servant Moses. If you are faithful to me, I will scatter you among the nations. But if you return to me and obey my commands and live by them, then you even, if you are exiled to the ends of the earth, I will bring you back to the place I have chosen you for my name to be honored. So here they are. He's calling back to God's promise. And he's saying, God, even though we've been exiled, you've been bringing us back. Look at verse 10. The people you rescued by your great power and strong hand are your servants. O Lord, please hear my prayer. Listen to the prayers of those who delight in honoring you. Please grant me success. One of the things about prayer is that we can pray a whole lot, but it also requires us to do some work. We can't just say, hey, God, fix this, and then just kind of wait and hope that it happens. The prayer part, the strategy part of this is God says, okay, I'm going to walk with you in this. It's going to be difficult. It's going to hurt. It's going to be painful. There's going to be some moments that are going to be extremely uncomfortable with you for you, but those painful moments will grow the muscles, will grow the habits that you need to find the place of wholeness. And so here, Nehemiah is saying, I'm committed to this task, whatever it's going to cost, but I need you to give me Holy Spirit courage to know that whenever we get to point B that there's going to be success, there's going to be wholeness in life, fullness of life. Please grant me success today by making the king favorable to me, put into his heart to be kind to me. So here Nehemiah has heard something and it's broken his heart and he's responded to it and he's prayed about it and he's at this place of saying, God, I need your wisdom, I need your counsel, here's the beginning point. And the beginning point we're going to see over the next few weeks is he's got to go to the king and ask something of the king. And that in those days to go before the king and to have an audience from him meant it's a life or death question. And so Nehemiah is saying, listen, God, I know that I'm part of the solution. I know that I can be helping bring from brokenness, I can bring health. And I am placed in the position where I'm at to be a part of this. But I also know that as I count the costs, as you've laid it upon my heart, it can cost me my life. Grant me success. For all of us to get from brokenness to wholeness, when we sit down and count the costs, sometimes the reason that we stay where we're at is because we count the costs and we say it's too much. That we would rather sit in our brokenness because at least we know it, at least we're comfortable with it, at least we we know what it is, than to get to the place of wholeness. Because we count the cost and we say the cost is too much. So my challenge for us this morning is to move from brokenness to wholeness. That this idea of a project restoration, the beginning of that is to acknowledge that there's something in your house that's broken to acknowledge it, admit it, 
weep over it, grieve over it, ugly cry over it, and begin to seek counsel and say, God, my fighting position, my strategy position, the beginning place where we gather all the tools and resources to figure out what it's going to cost is on my knees before you, and you will not cut corners in this restoration project. You won't do anything on the cheap. You will do it perfectly right so that at the end when the inspection is done, the inspectors will look at the restoration project and say, well done, my good and faithful servant. You did not cut any corners. You have now found wholeness and you've counted the cost and gone through what it's going to take and the steps and the time and the energy and the pain and the hurt and the multiple inspections and accountability that's going to take you to get to here. Are you ready to move from brokenness to wholeness? And that's the question for us. Do you want to move from brokenness to wholeness? In this unique season right now is a great time for us to consider how can we remodel our heart, our soul, our mind, our family, our relationships, our health, our careers, Whatever it is that you sense is broken, begin the remodel project so as we move out of this, that you can look back on this season and say, this was a season in my life that God used for his glory and for wholeness and healing in my life. And it begins with prayer. Let's pray together. Father, we move to a position and posture of fighting, and a posture of wisdom gathering, and of, of bringing the tools and resources necessary to the table to, to admit that we have some things that are broken and we want wholeness. We want a restoration project done, and we don't want it done on the cheap. We want it done right. We want it done well. We want everything to fit. We don't want to be surprised by an outlet that doesn't work. We don't want to be surprised by water dripping somewhere that it's not supposed to be dripping because we've cut corners or because we didn't hire the right people or to ask the right people to to peer into our house for the renovation to be done right. Father, that we may we grieve and weep over the brokenness in our hearts and in our lives and in our homes and in our families. Father, may you show us the steps that it's going to take, what it's going to cost us to move from brokenness to wholeness. Father, may you use this unique season in our lives, for your glory. It's in your Son's name that we pray. Amen.